0: Captain, we have them! We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery Podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before.
1: Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock episode number 49 for Picard, season 1, episode 2 maps and legends. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney, and joining me today is a new recruit from another division. Welcome, Amanda.
0: Hi. Well, hi. Thank you for having me.
1: Now, I'm sorry. I'm I didn't get the excited. opportunity to review your personnel file. Of what is your rank and where are you from?
0: Um, so I am going to be known as the Chief Archivist in the Federation Archives,
1: which I is lo- a command position. Of course, because somebody has to command those yeah. archives and keep them in line.
0: Someone has to make decisions, like Picard getting a whole rec room.
1: <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I know he was an admiral, but how many admirals have there been in the history of Starfleet?
0: And so I work in libraries. I am not an archivist myself, but I have had friends who work in archives. No archive looks like his rec room. You don't display—that's a museum room. That's not a, an archive. So, you you someone think, made that decision.
1: You don't think archives of the future might be a little more elaborate?
0: I think you know it would make sense if all of that was stored away and then sort of put out when he entered. But it's pretty obvious that that's not the case. So someone made the decision that he was going to have a whole room that's just always pristine and looking like a spot, like a trophy room, almost. It's got his Picard Day banner, it's got a Batleth.
1: What if it doesn't look like that when he's not there? What if they got advanced was coming, they're like, guys, guys, we need to get the Picard room ready.
0: <laughs> well, someone has to make that decision then.
1: <laughs> it could be just a rotating room, like whatever Admiral is coming to visit, that's where they put their stuff.
0: It's the, the Admiral's Trophy Room, whichever Admiral happens to be on site.
1: That's right. I mean, everybody yeah. wants to feel important, and if they want to believe that the room is always like that, we can let them believe that.
0: We can do that. We can play to their egos. <laughs> someone, someone has to make that decision. Someone had to make that call. Someone had to decide how that was going to be done. So that's, that's going to be me. That's me.
1: Well, you clearly have a passion not only for archives, but <laughs> also for Star Trek. What is your history with I this do. franchise?
0: Um, I grew up in a Star Trek fan household. My parents were big fans of the original series. We grew up watching that in syndication before Next Generation came out. We were very excited about Next Generation coming out. I was a kid at the time. Um, we had TV guide issues with uh, Patrick Stewart on the cover. Yes. Announcing that this was our new captain. And I remember my mother being like, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> he's like yeah he's a shakespearean actor but he's this like older british guy he was in i claudius like really this is the captain we're getting after kirk and then we saw him in action and we were like oh well everything's fine (laughs) he's great (laughs) so yeah i grew up watching star trek my parents could quote freely from original series episodes we were never convention going family but we were definitely fans. So I we watched all through Next Generation as it aired uh, week by week. And my family watched uh, DS9. I have a rocky history with DS9, so I didn't watch that. But now I've been watching um Enterprise, which I had never watched when it originally aired. But one of my best friends is super, super into it and finally convinced me to watch it. And I've been enjoying it.
1: What season are you in?
0: I am mid-season 4. I am nearing the end.
1: Oh gosh. So you've are that is in my opinion one of the finest seasons of Trek ever in the entire franchise.
0: It's real good. I'm really impressed by it. I just hit and this is actually a perfect bit of synchronicity. I've just hit an episode arc, a 3 episode arc about the Romulans as we've been watching the first couple of episodes of Picard.
1: So timely. Very perfect. (laughs) Now, I noticed you jumped right from DS9 to Enterprise. No Voyager in there?
0: No Voyager, though I do want to go back and watch it. It was just when um, Voyager and Enterprise and DS9 were happening was right around the time where I was finishing high school. I was in college. I didn't have a TV with cable easily accessible to me a lot of the time because I'm old enough that that was an issue. Um, you know, streaming TV just wasn't a thing at the time. So you couldn't just pop on your computer and watch the latest episode. You had to sit down and watch it, or later you had to get the video cassettes, or you had to find someone who had recorded it. And I just had way too much going on to sit down and watch TV on a regular basis. And then I never went back to it because again it required getting it on video or DVD. Now I can, you know, go sit in my living room, pull up any episode of Star Trek I want, including the animated series. Though, so
1: why would I want to?
0: <laughs> well, I... To see the Kazinti, I suppose, because they're fun, but...
1: Eh. I'm not sure I appreciate you saying that you're old enough to remember these things, because we're the same <laughs> age, Amanda.
0: <laughs> we, we are, yeah. But it's one of those things where I mention it at work, because I work with kids, and I'm like, yeah, I couldn't just watch anything. And this is mind-blowing to them, the idea that you can't just find it online, that finding it online was difficult and also expensive, because it's entirely possible you were paying for your internet by the minute.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, I remember those days. I
0: vividly remember them having to set a timer.
1: It's so interesting that we're the same age, but we had very different experiences. For example... When I sat down to watch the premiere of TNG, that was my first exposure ever mm-hmm. to Star Trek. I had never seen oh, any TOS.
0: That's exciting.
1: It was. I mean, I had no basis for comparison, so I didn't have to worry about will he be as good or worse than Kirk. Right. I just like, that was my captain.
0: Yeah, I mean, Picard is very much my captain because he's who I sort of grew into Trek with. Trek was a thing that I, I knew as a kid, but Picard is the captain that I really grew to love. So he's my guy.
1: Yep. And then you and I were in high school and college at the same time. I also didn't have access to cable, but I went to college 20 minutes from where I grew up. My dad was taping Star Trek and Uh, I would drive home every weekend and we would watch it together. And then I would lend the VHS cassettes. To my English professor, who missed it, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was away for college. I went to another state. I was in Pennsylvania, and I grew up in Massachusetts. So I was far enough away that I didn't have someone taping it for me. I didn't have a way to easily watch it, and my dorm just didn't have a great cable connection. We had cable in the in the rec room, but uh, dicey at best.
1: But now, as you said, we have Blu-rays, we have streaming, and yeah. we have. All the Star Trek history at our fingertips.
0: So much Star Trek. I can go onto Memory Alpha and pop up any article I want.
1: It's a little overwhelming at times. You can really fall down some rabbit holes.
0: Oh, God, yeah. Like Cetacean Ops, which was a thought (laughs) because I was discussing my, you had mentioned, you know, rank and everything. And I was like, oh, there's Cetacean Ops. I could be a liaison with Cetacean Ops on the Enterprise. Because that's something that people don't think about. There were dolphins on the Enterprise D. But then I thought, well, no, I, I, I walked away from marine science. I thought I was going to be a marine scientist. Um, uh, I'm a librarian now. We'll go with archives.
1: Can't dolphins manage archives?
0: Um, you know, it's tricky because you got to waterproof everything. Mm. Yeah, and that, that directly changes the nature of the item, which you wouldn't want to do as an archivist. I'm, they, I'm sure they have things to archive of their own. You've got to have recordings of, you know, all sorts of vocalizations.
1: Right. And also, if you're dealing with print media, translating all those words into whistles yeah. and clicks, you know, that's going to be hard. Exactly. That's,
0: yeah. that's a big job. That's a lot to do.
1: I mean, but imagine their audiobook collection. Like, just go to (gasps) audible.com. So many.
0: Just the cetacean collection in the Federation audiobook archive is immense. It's one of the biggest collections they've got, I'm sure.
1: And I bet they even have a rec room to show it off.
0: (laughs) I'm sure they do.
1: (laughs) So, you mentioned mentioned growing up in Massachusetts. That, in fact, is where we met at PAX East last year. Yes. We, we met through our mutual friend Susan Arndt, who was a former guest of this show twice over. Love Susan. She's awesome. What's not to love, right? I know. She's amazing. <laughs> and you and I were there with transporter law co-host Sabriel Maston who is not joining us yes. today because she is in Disney World. Yeah,
0: she's having a great time, I'm sure. That's I'm jealous. Yeah, like never there's, been.
1: There's some other star franchise in Disney World, I guess.
0: It's a thing, I guess. Whatever. They wave sticks around. I don't know.
1: I don't know. Glow sticks. I don't get it. This isn't the 4th of July. <laughs> Come on. So, but we both were excited to have you on the show in her place. And we're here to talk about maps and legends, which as I said, is yes. season one, episode two of Picard. Now we usually start yeah. with a short summary of the episode. Is that something you want to tackle or shall I?
0: I'm going to let you tackle that. I My notes are more on specific things from the episode
1: okay so there is a lot that happened in this episode in a lot of different places and i have not
0: prefabricated
1: my tldr
0: packed it packed a lot in um one of my best friends and i are both big trek fans and we discuss star trek as we watch it he's the guy who's getting me into enterprise and i saw maps and legends first And when I got back online afterwards, he was like, so how was it? And I was like, there's a lot
1: going on. (laughs)
0: There's a lot happening in these episodes. It's great.
1: Especially given that this is only a 10-episode season.
0: I know. And I mean, on one hand, it feels like they're taking a while to get into space. But on the other hand, it feels like they're packing so much history and storytelling into each episode that it doesn't feel slow.
1: It's interesting that you say it's taking a while to get into space, because it is, but does Star Trek, by definition, need to be in space? I don't think so. I mean, on one hand, it's in the title. I'm
0: not convinced of
1: that. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, it's in the title, but on the other hand, they had an entire movie set in Montana. (laughs)
0: It's true. I I don't have a problem with it not being in space entirely. I think that planet-side stuff has always had some really, really amazing heart of the show and i mean you've got episodes like the inner light how much of that takes place in space it's really just the interstitial stuff that's in space otherwise you're on a planet finding out about its history so yeah i think it doesn't need to be all in space but you know that there's a reason for them to go into space you know that's where it's heading even though it's been two episodes and picard still didn't have a ship i'm not sitting here being like come on come on come on i'm more like okay How is this going to work out?
1: Right, right. We're all on the edge of our seats. Yeah. All right, so let me try to summarize this up. So in this episode, Picard continues to investigate the death of Dash. He and uh, his Romulan friend, Laris, informs him that she was Tal Shiar, and there is apparently a subsection of the Tal Shiar named the Zhat Vash, who are super secretive and are very anti-synthetic life and artificial intelligence. And that they may have been responsible for Daj's death. So they go back to Dasha's apartment and they go through the logs that the Jat Vash tried to erase and they find out that uh, Daj's sister is somewhere off world. Uh, we also, f- so Picard goes to Starfleet and speaks to an admiral there and tries to get a ship for a special mission and she runs him out of the place because he resigned from starfleet 14 years ago he spoke ill of it on the tv interview (laughs) in the last very recently yeah very recently and so he doesn't get his ship meanwhile back in france picard also gets a visit from a medical officer that he served with on the stargazer who confirms that he does still have that defect that we saw in all good things that may lead to aromatic syndrome so picard is like well this might be my last mission so he calls up an old friend and tries to get a ship from her, a woman named Rafi, who we'll see in the next episode. Meanwhile, the Starfleet Admiral informs the head of Starfleet Security, who is a Vulcan, who may secretly be a Romulan, because she also has an officer who looks human, but is actually a Romulan, and is the sister of the Romulan guy we saw at the end of last week's episode on the Borg ship, who is still seducing... Uh, Soji, the android doctor, who is on the Borg ship, investigating everything, and w- there's just a lot going on there. There's
0: so much. I know. And um, there's the cold open on Mars. Oh my gosh,
1: like, you're right. I completely years forgot Years and years ago. We actually see with, the attack from Children of Mars.
0: Which is wild.
1: Yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, let's start there. Why do you think they bothered showing us something that had already been pretty well summarized in Children of Mars and Remembrance?
0: So I think they also wanted to make sure that people such as myself who haven't watched the short tracks um, know what happened. Because I haven't made time to sit down and watch them, even though I definitely want to. I just haven't had a chance. So I think that was part of it, wanting to make sure that people know what happened, even if they haven't seen extra material. And also I think it's important to the show because they're referencing it so much. They want to have it be kind of visceral. And it is visceral. That opening is brutal. And it's brutal in a lot of ways. It's physically brutal because, you know, the synthetic murders everyone. But also brutal in the script because they're so casually dismissive. And... I don't know, for a fan who knows data and has sort of seen the synthetic life forms in the show, hearing them be so dismissive, hearing them be so callous was like kind of a gut punch. I think that's necessary for the background of a lot of the motivations of the characters. I think it's a a good thing to know going into looking at why people are scared of synthetics in this world
1: so you so you think the plastic people deserved more respect than they were getting
0: i think there definitely wasn't a reason to be disrespectful
1: of them because they certainly were not on the same level of consciousness as data
0: no but there's uh there's a very ob uh, there's a very definite intentional playing of it as being callous I think there was, you're not supposed to be watching these people making fun of or talking derisively about the, um, plastic people and think, yeah, stupid plastic people. You're supposed to be sort of sitting there going, oh no. Oh dear. Oh, you're not meant to sympathize with that. You're meant to feel bad. And I did. I was like, oh no, this is going to go so poorly.
1: See, I'm not sure I did feel bad for the artificial life forms because we saw so little opportunity for them to be human. In fact, what I experienced more was that uncanny valley where these things were very not human.
0: I just, making jokes at their expense, I, I, it gives me that sort of like very tight-chested feeling of knowing that someone's joking at my expense and that I don't quite get it.
1: But they were also but
0: knowing from their tone.
1: They were also afraid of these things. I mean, they pointed out. Oh yeah. You know, not only can he hear you, he can also like rip open a hatch with his bare hands.
0: Right. But why would you then be talking dismissively about such a thing? Like it, it's it's such an interesting interplay. It's such a, a fascinating bit of history and a peek into what life is like on that. In that station at that time, right as it was happening? What was the atmosphere in there?
1: I think we also saw that these androids have something that data never did, which is some sort of a wireless Mm. communication.
0: Yes, definitely. There's that pupil change that happens um, right as, uh, was it F8, I think, uh, starts to go all murdery.
1: Now, is it F8 or is it fate?
0: See, that's a really good question. <laughs> I think that was also very intentional. Yes. I don't think there's much of anything in this show that's unintentional. I, I think agree. it's very carefully crafted. Mm-hmm.
1: And that pupil dilation reminded me a lot of how Arium was hacked in Season 2 of Discovery when Control took her over.
0: I So I am I am currently in the beginning of Season 2 of Discovery and patching up. But I'm also spoiled, so don't worry about that.
1: Oh, Sorry. <laughs>
0: It's okay. No, I had already been spoiled because I don't mind spoilers. So, and I'm also... I fall down wiki holes really easily. So I end up reading things that I probably shouldn't, but I I don't mind.
1: But since it was so obvious to us as the viewers, I mean, we saw something mm-hmm. that everybody else in that room did not, was that pupil dilation. Right. But nonetheless... We were paying
0: attention to that because we had to.
1: Right. But we you would think that Starfleet... 14 years later, they still haven't figured out why the synths went rogue. you think that they would have noticed, hey, there was this, you know, unknown Some sort of communication. Right. I mean, they're picking that up on their ships all the time. It's like, oh, we have an unexpected transmission, blah, blah, blah. Maybe because Mars is still on fire, all the logs were lost, but that seems unlikely.
0: Or, and this is going heavily into speculation mode, but or... That one admiral that we've met who's Vulcan, but maybe not, we don't know. Um, What if she's been suppressing things? What if someone in the Federation has been suppressing any information about what happened under the guise of, oh no, we couldn't recover any logs?
1: Now that's a good point because now we know that there is a faction out there that hates artificial life forms yeah. And we suspect that there was a third party that caused this incident that resulted in the ban of artificial life forms. These can't be unrelated.
0: No, it's all got to be related somehow. Otherwise, why would we be told about it? Right. And it's got to have
1: some connection. But that would mean that the Jat Vash hated artificial life forms so much that they destroyed the fleet that was going to save 900 million Romulans.
0: I mean, let's face it, the Tal Shiar and their you know, shadowy splinter group, they're not known for being warm and fuzzy. They're ruthless. They always have been. The regular Romulan people are scared of the Tal Shiar. And we know that from, um, I'm blanking on the episode title, but the one where Troy is modified to look like a Romulan in Next Generation and ends up, At odds with the captain of the ship that she's on. She's Tal Shiar, and the captain is a loyal Romulan citizen, as loyal as they get, and yet hates the Tal Shiar. So the Tal Shiar isn't necessarily looking out for the Romulan people, they're looking out for themselves.
1: That is an aspect of their culture I will never wrap my head around.
0: It's, I find it fascinating. I've had a lot of conversations about Romulan culture with a friend of mine, and we were, we both had a lot of Romulan feelings coming out of both the Enterprise episodes that we've been watching and this week's Picard. And I think all the Picard episodes coming up, because we're going to have a lot of Romulan involvement, I think. Mm
1: -hmm. And speaking of the Jat Vash, here's a question I asked tongue-in-cheek. How likely is it going to be run by Vash? Oh, no! (laughs) Where does that name come from? Why would they reuse that name that has so much meaning to Picard?
0: Oh, that's such a terrible thought. But also, I mean, it's an old group, but... Because you don't get the impression that it just came into being 20, 30 years ago. You get the impression that this is an old thing. But the idea that... Oh,
1: no. Baj. I mean, Oh, Baj. Paj, Baj is palling around the galaxy with Q, who can travel through time.
0: That's... Oh, that's true. <laughs> he could have stranded her in the past, because he's that sort of dude.
1: Right, and you know what? There was a Star Trek novel published by Paramount, Uh, it was a short Mm -hmm. story, where Vaj temporarily got assimilated by the Borg and became the new Borg Queen after First Contact.
0: And we know that they're not against using parts of the canon that a lot of other people may not have been as familiar with, because they're definitely making references to everything. Mm -hmm. They're not just using Next Generation, the show, as their canon basis they're also using Nemesis and Nemesis is definitely not one of the biggest movies Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's you know I watched it once
1: right I don't feel the need to watch it again although a friend of mine who's never seen it asked me what do I need to watch before I start watching Picard and I said well I hate to do this to you but you need to watch (sighs) Nemesis
0: you kind of have to at least know what's happening Yeah. you need to know what happened with Data yeah you need you need to know a little bit about the Romulans.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said exactly. if there are two movies you need to watch, it's Nemesis and the two thousand nine reboot.
0: Yeah, yeah, because that gives you so much background on what happened with the Romulan homeworld.
1: Mm-hmm. But then also probably First Contact for the Borg.
0: Yep. First Contact and um, any of the episodes that reference uh Picard as
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, I put iBorg on that short list it. that I sent my friend. Because you
0: you're, we know you're going to need to know who Hugh is, because we know the cast.
1: Right, and also uh, Star Trek published their own Picard Primer, and they included episodes from Voyager that were about the Borg.
0: Well, that doesn't surprise me. Also, knowing the upcoming cast, because we know from the trailers that Seven of Nine shows up.
1: Right. Yeah, so as you said... And we know from from the the casting...
0: Yeah, Yeah. we know from the casting that Jonathan DeLarco is showing up, so we know Hugh is in this somehow. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. They're pulling from all over the place. It wouldn't shock me if they were referencing books, if they were referencing just minor things. I mean, do they want to reference the animated series? Maybe. Who knows?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, jumping around a little bit, speaking of all the references, I mean, we see... Mm -hmm. Picard sitting down with a medical officer from the Stargazer. Yeah. You know, That's I mean, great. I don't think this character has ever been mentioned before, at least in the TV show. Maybe he's in the novels, because there was a whole Stargazer novel series, I think.
0: Which I never, I've never read, though. I could probably hit up my friend Toshi and be like, hey, so who's this guy? And he would probably give me a full background. The sort of guy he is. I, I gotta... I'm looking. I'm trying to find an actor name, and I'll I'll find
1: it. <laughs> well, that medical officer was played by David Paymer, who I loved in City Slickers. Okay, that was,
0: that was trying to to find.
1: Yeah, every time that actor shows up, I just get a big smile on my face. He was on some episodes of Cheers back in the '80s, and he's just such a fun actor.
0: He was in Ocean's Thirteen, which was my immediate uh, connection. He is—he's uh, there to rate the hotel and. <laughs> To see if it gets five the five diamond award and the team in oceans 13 treat him horribly as a byproduct of trying to tank the hotel Aww. and yeah but he ends up winning um like 11 million dollars on a slot machine because they fix it for him and so all i could think oh good for him he did he did well with that 11 million dollars
1: yay happy ending <laughs> good for him I gotta wonder, though, if they brought David Paymer in because they couldn't get Gates McFadden. Mm, I don't know. I mean, she was the one who originally diagnosed Picard with the potential for Aromotic Syndrome.
0: But also, Gates... Like, Crusher and Picard have a history. So, I think whether they could get her or not, there may have also been a question of will that end up being a focal point for people that she's around and they're going to expect there to be an emotional connection that they may not expect from an old buddy
1: hmm so maybe they have a different role in mind for her if any
0: yeah okay. I just I think it would have played very differently for her to be telling him about it and I don't think it would have necessarily been bad but it may not have been what they had in mind for that particular situation
1: sure that makes sense and speaking of the books, uh, again, I'm jumping around through the plot, but at the very end, Picard calls up a woman <laughs> named Raffi, who lives in the desert. Yeah. And our co-host Sabriel left copious notes, and she pointed out that <laughs> in the novels, after Picard was captain of the Enterprise, he served on a ship called the USS Verity with a woman named Raffi.
0: Who, I know, I know the description that's given, um, I think it's Jabin who says, you need someone who has money in a ship and hates you. Yes. <laughs> Which is a great line. And he's like, oh yeah, I already called her. <laughs> the- <laughs> this is Michelle Hurd who plays Raffi, and I love her. I think she's great. I'm really glad to see her in
1: the show. What else has she done?
0: She was in... The first season, I know she's done a lot of other things, but the thing that I immediately go to is she was in the first season of um, Law & Order SVU. Oh, okay. And her character, I always felt, got sort of a, a, a sh- short shrift. Um, she got kicked off the unit for getting too emotionally involved and wanting vengeance, basically, on uh, criminals. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer. She was a great character. <laughs> I liked her. Wow. And I, I felt that she sort of got sidelined because they had Mariska Hargitay, And she's great. And she had great chemistry with um, her other co-stars. You know, the, the cast sort of regelled after season one. They lost a couple of um, people. One of them is the guy who's now in the uh, – he plays Mayhem in those uh, car insurance ads. He was also in the season one. of. That. I know a lot of weird TV trivia.
1: <laughs> Did you recognize where Raffi lives?
0: Not it was Vasquez rocks. My husband points out Vasquez rocks. <laughs> That's right. Cause you said it during, he said it during the episode. He was like, Oh, you got to go to Vasquez rocks at least once in a Star Trek show.
1: That's right. That's where Kirk fought the Gorn.
0: Ah, uh, the Gorn love them. <laughs>
1: And that's, that setting has shown up in many other shows, including Airwolf, Sliders, and Buffy, and also other episodes a, of Star Trek.
0: It's a great filming location. You yeah. know, you can't deny it.
1: <laughs> okay, so, uh, we've been talking a little bit about his Romulan friends, Laris and Jaban. Yeah. And I, so last week, Sabriel s- suspected that they were ex military, and now it sounds like we're finding out that they are, in fact, ex Talshiar.
0: Yes, and recruited by their parents.
1: Yeah, Laris was recruited by Jabin's parents, I think, and Jabin just kind of grew up in the Tal
0: I suspect that they are brother and sister, and I actually really, I hope that that's true. Because um, if it is true, then they make a really interesting parallel to another brother-sister pair in the episode. Because we have the other two Romulan agents that we're dealing with. So we have Narek and we have um, Narissa, I think?
1: Soji? No. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. No, no, the... um, The human Vulcan Romulan.
0: Yeah, Narissa Rizzo Yes, is our other
1: one. I I keep thinking about it's Rizzo, right? (laughs) She's a rat. Right.
0: Oh, you're right! She's a rat! (laughs) Um... (laughs) She, but that they're siblings. So I'm really hoping that Laris and Javin are siblings because I had originally thought, oh, they must be a married couple, but now I'm kind of hoping that they are siblings because I would love that to be a parallel of siblings who left the Tal Shiar and have a new life, and these siblings that haven't left and are still working against humans in various ways. Um, I think that would be a really interesting sort of mirror thing going on. Um, I love Laris. I, I just have to say, I think she's a fantastic character. I am not super hopeful that we'll see more of her because she's only credited as being in two episodes, wow. um, which means we've seen all we're going to see of her. However, I really hope we get more because I love her. She's great, mm-hmm. she's fascinating to me. She's a former Talshiar agent who is now Picard's like vineyard caretaker. What an interesting person and still knows how to do everything.
1: I find it really interesting that two Tal Shiar would be willing to essentially demote themselves to such menial work.
0: And they seem perfectly happy. Oh yeah. You know, you don't really get the idea that they're resentful of living where they live or doing what they do. It's almost like, you know, they got recruited as kids and grew up with it, and we're never entirely easy with it. And I think that's something that I'm really enjoying so far about Picard, is that we're getting to see more facets of Romulan culture mm-hmm. than we ever saw in the rest of the shows. Because we're getting to see that it's not all just military, and I'm happy to be military. There are people right. living normal lives.
1: Because you were saying the Telshiar Shiar don't care about Romulans. They care about themselves. But here are two Tel who very much appreciate Picard mm-hmm. trying to save them after the supernova.
0: Exactly, yeah. They, these are, I mean, this is, again, going deep into speculation. But I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, you have these characters who are like, wow, my own people didn't care whether other people lived or died. And here's someone who cared enough to do something, even though... It put him at great risk. And no, my loyalties aren't supposed to be like this, but they have to be like this or we all die. I like the idea of there being that conflict and there being that complexity to a character and to a race. I think it's far too easy to go, all Romulans are like this, because it's the same as saying all Vulcans are like this and all Klingons are like this. It, you're reducing an entire culture to a, a monolith. And I don't think that that. I don't think that's a great way to do alien cultures. So I love when they give the alien cultures in Star Trek more depth and more complexity because it allows for better storytelling later on.
1: Mm hmm. One of my favorite episodes of TNG with the Romulans is The Defector, where we have an admiral mm, who comes to yeah. me and says, here's what my people are planning. You need to stop it.
0: Yeah. And. There's so much interesting Romulan lore out there. Um, like I said, I've been watching Enterprise, and I've just sort of hit a big Romulan subplot coming on the heels of a Vulcan subplot, where it turns out that the Romulans had planted a Tal Shiar agent on the Vulcan High Command. Okay. Great. That sounds horrible. Um, and now you've got <laughs> It is. Um, And then you've got the Romulans trying to start wars between the Andorians and the Tellarites and the humans and just to keep them off balance. And that's all really, really interesting stuff. But you also see people sort of fighting against it to an extent where there are people questioning what should we be doing? Uh I like that we're getting more depth. It makes me really happy. Yay.
1: Speaking of Lars and Jaban, I too get the mm-hmm. vibe of siblings from them. But Memory Alpha says that they are, in fact, lovers.
0: Fascinating. Ah, oh, well, there goes my theory about siblings and siblings. But I still think they're—it's two pairs of characters that are doing very, have chosen very different paths. And I really, I really, really like how they're doing that, that they're showing us a variety of Romulan characters. Mm
1: -hmm. I like your interpretation better. I hope they do that.
0: (laughs) I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that they make that canon.
1: Shall we talk about Picard's visit to Starfleet headquarters?
0: Yeah, let's talk about that mess.
1: (laughs) Well, first of all, when he stepped out of those transporter portals that uh, Sabril and I were talking about last week, yeah, we didn't see them on Children of Mars, we we're trying to figure out why are people shuttling around when they have these around, but yeah. <laughs> but when he steps out and it's playing the TNG theme and he walks in and he sees oh. two different Enterprises that he captained, I had an emotional reaction this week finally that I didn't have with the pilot episode, which was that I cried. Oh,
0: yeah, it was a, it, it's an, it's, it was meant to be an emotional moment. It did its job really well.
1: Yeah. It was, it was just such a wonderful reminder of all these things that we love and Picard acknowledging where he came from and, yeah. you know, with some hesitation, stepping back into that role, which we know Patrick Stewart hesitated to do for a long time as well.
0: And understandably so. It's such an iconic role. And I can see as an actor being like, no, I did that. I've done it. And it's behind me now. And it's time for me to do something different. Um, or how can I pick it up? What more story is there to tell? Um, the fact that he's doing it says to me that the story that they've come up with is one that he really wanted told.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. I also, but however, I love that this has been 14 years. When he went to check in, mm-hmm. he, they didn't know who he was. Oh, <laughs> well, I think he knew.
0: Yeah. I <clears> think. Yeah.
1: You think what? Sorry.
0: I, yeah, I think um, going in to Starfleet, how would he have felt walking in there knowing that he could be rebuffed?
1: Do you think he actually anticipated the possibility that he would not get his request fulfilled?
0: I think he had to know that there was a chance that they they would not you know be amenable to him coming in and being like so i'm going to need a ship because he just badmouthed them on you know broadcast and his parting from them was not pleasant so there had to be the chance i think he just maybe glossed over it in his mind
1: and yet when he was in a similar state in the TNG finale, all good things, and he needed a ship, he got his ship, and I was yeah. almost surprised. Not that the denial was reasonable, I mean, I think there were reasons why they said no this time, but precedent had set me up to expect that what Picard wants, Picard gets.
0: And I, I think that was also very intentional. You're, you're meant to think, oh, dawning of a new age, here he goes, he's gonna go in, he's gonna be welcomed back to Starfleet, and it was in the um. Was in all the trailers i want you to reinstate me for one last mission and nope <laughs> let's dump that expectation on its head
1: and he even so generously offered to be demoted to captain
0: <laughs> oh so nice of him so 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 big of him to do that i i didn't expect i didn't expect him to be given um command again because i know where the you know i knew that he's not getting or A Starfleet ship because we had trailers but also because I kind of figured this is a show that is going to be turning things topsy-turvy this isn't a show that wants you to be comfortable necessarily
1: yeah and this is also the scene where for the second time this episode we hear the (gasps) f-word
0: yeah there there is there's some swears being tossed around in this show, there's uh you hear a couple of S's and a couple of F's.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, the sh- uh, and CBS pops up a rating saying that the show is for ages 14 and up. But I thought if you had more than one F word, at least in movies, it had to be R rated.
0: Um. So the MPAA is separate from the television ratings. Right. I'm pretty sure. And I think television ratings also have to do with what time of day it's being aired quote-unquote uh, okay and while it's available streaming at any time i think it's intended to be a primetime uh show so it the idea is that this is a show that's intended it if it was being aired at a specific time in the schedule it would be an after 8 p.m show and you get a little more leeway with f-bombs at that time of day um, streaming has changed a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband points out that Discovery had a big F-bomb drop in at least one episode.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So they def- there's some precedent there.
1: In Memory Alpha, when you go through the quotable quotes for this episode, and one of the mm. F-words is there. And the F-word mm. in Memory Alpha is a hyperlink, and I clicked on it, and it went to the, mel- the Memory Alpha entry for colorful metaphors. <laughs>
0: That's fantastic.
1: And it's a complete index of all the metaphors alphabetically and all their instances throughout all of Star Trek franchises.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> uh, the, people who, the people who do wiki work absolutely amaze me. Just everyone who puts together things like Memory Alpha and Memory Beta, any fan wiki, that's a lot of work. People, people, are, people love this stuff, and it, it makes me happy.
1: Mm-hmm. One thing about Picard's encounter with the Admiral, though, that surprised me was just how forthcoming he was with everything that had happened, all that he had learned about the Jat Vash. Yeah. I would just think that, okay, yes, yeah, Starfleet is on the up and up generally, but he has also had his own fair share of Starfleet being infiltrated, whether it's by mind-controlling parasites or changelings or Section 31, and that maybe you want to know who you're dealing with before you just <laughs> play all your cards. No.
0: Hold things a little closer to the chest here. Right. I think there are a couple of things at play there. I think one thing in play is that you see a lot of, In this, this is definitely something in some of the other shows, there's a lot of, I'm only going to tell people the bare minimum of what they need to hear. And then things go wrong because of things people weren't told. Whereas if they had been told, then maybe things wouldn't have gone so horrifically wrong.
1: Kind of like Star Wars The Last Jedi. It
0: is something like that, yeah. <laughs> and you see, I mean, you see it in a lot of shows. It's something that um, shows up just... It's a, it's a staple plot device almost. So I kind of like the idea that he was like, here's everything you need to know. It can't go wrong because I didn't tell you something. Um, on the other hand, I think there's also some desperation on his part. And not like a scrambling sort of desperation, but a something is very wrong here. And if I don't lay my cards on the table, then I don't have enough ammunition to get what I need. Because no one's going to take it seriously enough if I'm not plain spoken enough about it. But I think we're also, you know, meant to wonder about his state of mind. Because we've just been told that, you know, medically, there may be some things going on in his brain
1: that's true I mean, if he had gone to the admiral and said i need a ship because reasons you know that probably right. wouldn't play
0: no it wouldn't so i think he probably had an idea that if he was very plain spoken about what the risks are and that this is an ongoing problem then maybe that would override any long-term enmity between the two characters and between Picard and Starfleet as an entity. Um, It didn't work. But I think there was definitely meant to be a, look, I'm being honest with
1: you all. I was wondering if the people he would meet at Starfleet would be familiar to us viewers. And on one hand, I'm disappointed that they weren't. But on the other hand, it's important to acknowledge that he had like 20 years of life between when we last saw him and now he met people and had adventures and we should acknowledge that.
0: And also that Starfleet isn't a small organization. And I think this is very important to how Starfleet is being characterized in Picard is that it is, it is a slow moving giant at this point. It is a glacier of an organization right now. Um, it doesn't do anything rashly and it doesn't move quickly. It, it moves at a very slow pace and it, it doesn't make like directional changes very easily now. And I think that's borne out both by the words of the admiral that he talks to, the commander in chief, and also by the fact that we don't recognize all these people. There are, Starfleet's very big there are going to be characters that we've never met simply because we couldn't possibly have met them all. It's so huge.
1: Right. Bruce Maddox plays an important role, and we know him, but that should be the exception rather than the rule.
0: Exactly. I think we're, we're not going to know a lot of them. And I think also, I think if we knew a lot of them, we would expect them to have history with Picard that we are familiar with and would expect to be played off. So again, I think like not using Dr. Crusher for talking to him about his condition, you've got to sort of go, if we've got an admiral that he was on friendly terms with, you'd expect that admiral to let him get away with more. Whereas if we have an admiral that he's got a off-camera bad relationship with, then we have no reason to expect her to soften her blows.
1: This is, yep, no, that's all true. The one exception might have been, if I get her name right, Admiral Necheyev, who we saw on TNG. I believe she mm-hmm. was the one who led the inquiry into the loss of the Stargazer.
0: Yeah. And like, and
1: she and Picard were lovers up until then. And, I, you know, so they have sort of a love-hate relationship. And I wouldn't be surprised, like, she is an admiral who is willing to tell Picard no. And yeah. if, if he had gone to see her and she had spouted off at him... I would have found that believable.
0: I, I It's not that I didn't find it believable. I mean, there's also a, always the question of, is this person still acting? Is this person available? Do they want to do it? Um, so they may have gone to someone from his past or from the show's past first, not been able to get them, and decided, well, we can definitely give him someone who just doesn't like him.
1: <laughs> Which will not people,
0: be hard to do. Pe- yeah, people, you know, he's got we all see him as next generation fans as the you know the captain who was willing to take a few risks here and there but always followed the heart of the rules if that makes sense but he definitely bent rules he definitely did things his own way and while the show is focused on the enterprise that all worked out but you got to expect that sometimes people higher up we're not happy about that. So,
1: And this Admiral tells us some important context for the Romulan rescue mission. A lot of people were unhappy yeah. with Picard for trying to save the Romulans. Hundreds of Multiple, Federation member worlds. Yeah.
0: Threatened to pull out of the Federation for bringing the Romulans in. That's, you know, and this is why I say it's the Federation is not a small group anymore. It's not, you know, it's not just Starfleet. It's the Federation. It doesn't make Course changes quickly. It can't swerve. It can't make rushed decisions. Every it's a bureaucracy.
1: Still, though, it was disappointing to hear the Admiral say that it is Starfleet's decision who lives and dies, and they decide to let the Romulans die.
0: Yeah, wow. I mean That was a statement.
1: Yeah, and it seems almost at odds with the prime directive.
0: I mean, it's, it would be at odds with it if I, I can interpret it in two ways. In one way, it's saying we make decisions and we manipulate things. On the other hand, you go, yeah, we decide that they die because we're not stepping in. Because stepping in would be interfering. So not that I agree with that, but I can see that being the interpretation used by members of Starfleet and the Federation to excuse allowing horrible things to happen.
1: Yeah. It can definitely go either way.
0: Yeah. That, that expression of neutrality, neutrality. um, I think there's a a quote and I'm going to get it wrong and I don't know who it's for, but neutrality favors the oppressor where If you're, if you're acting neutral in a situation where someone is being oppressed, then that means that the oppressor wins. Uh And in this case, Starfleet is saying, we're going to let something horrible happen because we're neutral and it's important not to interfere. Um, And while I can see where that comes out of the prime directive, it. It's a a warping, I think, of the ideals that it was created with. And I think that's, again, like I said, everything in this show I feel like is very intentional. So I think that was definitely intentional as well.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts about his visit to Starfleet before we move to the Borg cube?
0: Um, I did like that the Ensign didn't recognize him. Mm -hmm. It showed right away just how removed. They they may recognize the Enterprise because it's hanging over their heads all the time. But the people who served on it, not necessarily.
1: I had such a good laugh when he slapped on that visitor badge.
0: He's so grumpy about it. <laughs> I would be too. I was amazed that they didn't have a scene of him throwing it back as he
1: left. <laughs> but it's the same hand gesture he always used to make to tap his com badge, and now it's visitor. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Surprised it didn't say, like, senior citizen or something. Do I get a discount for that? <laughs> <laughs> honestly
0: well, only before noon
1: <laughs> all right let's move to the board cube because a lot's happening over there too.
0: yeah definitely so much is happening no assimilations though
1: not in the um, last noted 843 <laughs> days
0: 800- yeah <laughs> i saw that and there's a it's a chalkboard right so obviously someone is it's someone's job every day to go to that sign, erase the last number and add one to it. And then there's a matching sign to the right of it on the opposite corner because it's on like the corner of a walkway. Yep. And I didn't, I couldn't identify the language that it's in, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was Romulan. And it probably says the same thing.
1: <laughs> Why are they doing it in chalk and, and not digitally?
0: It's so good. <laughs> it's so old school. It made me so happy. I laughed so hard and. <laughs> my my husband and i have been going over on thursday nights and watching with my parents and uh we have a great time we have dinner we watch picard and we we laugh and chat about it which is fantastic and that little detail it's the attention is on the guy talking and it's at his feet and i noticed it and started laughing and then it it cut away and i was like oh no you all missed it (laughs) we gotta go back
1: but Sabriel tweeted that not only is it hilarious, it may also be significant because 5,843 yes. days is 16 years. The events of the march yeah, attack she did math. were 14 years ago.
0: So we have some timeline here because we know when this Borg cube was sort of captured and uh, disconnected from the collective, because they talk about that, that once it's disconnected then according to the Borg, it's basically a ghost ship. There's no survivors on it, as far as they're concerned. Um, But we know that that happened pre-Mars, which is fascinating.
1: It also means that there was still a collective to detach it from.
0: Yeah, which is also very interesting, given what we know about what was happening with the Borg.
1: Right, we didn't know if they even still existed at this point, and apparently they still do.
0: It it doesn't surprise me a lot that there were compartmentalized parts of the Borg, because you know it's it's like having a, a divided hard drive, you know. Yeah. You <laughs> Why just part- not have two different factions?
1: Yeah, you just partition it.
0: Yeah, exactly. You partition your Borg, <laughs> and then if, if one uh, one group, you know, gets. Uh, Gets a a virus or something. Yeah, it gets corrupted. You don't have to worry about it spreading to the other partition. That's right.
1: Makes sense to me. (laughs) Now, however, it seems to me like Starfleet is unaware of this Borg project, even though there's a variety of races participating in it. We have Romulans, humans, Trill. There are a lot of people participating in this, and I wonder, how are they attracting these people? Where are they coming from? And does Starfleet know about it?
0: So, given that Soji is there, and had applied to be part of the project, um, that you meet other characters who are human, that have also applied to be a part of this project, I can't imagine that Starfleet isn't aware that it exists, but also that they don't have any control over it whatsoever. Because it's implied that Soji and Dodge at least had manufactured backstories on Earth. And Soji and Dodge were in contact with each other. They were talking. Because we know that from Laris's uh, dig into Dodge's computer that she had incoming and outgoing messages to a twin sister who the computer mistook her for Dodge. Um, Elsewhere in space. That's how we know we have to go into space, right? So there has to be knowledge that it exists. It's stated that the Romulans are selling off technology gleaned from the Borg um, for profit. Um, So it's, you know, it's like a a refugee project.
1: And one that apparently predates the supernova.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This was something that the Romulans had been working on, which right. is really interesting.
1: Because when we first saw the cube in the first episode, and it was called Romulan reclamation site, I, I, right. I thought it meant like the Romulans, having lost their home planet, were trying to reclaim a new home. But that's no. what I
0: thought too. I was like, oh my god, the Romulans are inhabiting a Borg cube instead of a planet. Oh my god!
1: But apparently, that was that- my initial thought. Right, but apparently the timelines don't match up and that's not the case.
0: Right, unless, you know, whoever wrote out those numbers got them horribly wrong. But I can't imagine that that would be
1: true. As you've been saying, everything in the show is intentional.
0: It's so intentional. Why put that sign there and have it so visible and sit there in that scene (laughs) and be visible more than once? They go back to it Uh, if you don't want people to see it, if it's just an in-joke. If it's an in-joke, you only have it barely glimpsed as someone passes by it. If it's intentional, you have it visible on camera multiple times.
1: Although we did have moments in discovery where the star dates were just way off, and we were surprised that such a easy detail to correct was incorrect. Maybe yeah. the same thing happened here. They just threw it up without thinking about it.
0: <laughs> just put up a, a number and we're like about how many days? Eh, five thousand or so. <laughs> Something like that.
1: Right, because they were thinking the, the joke is not how long it's been. The joke is that they were assimilated and now they've gone without.
0: Right. <laughs> I think I mean it's it's a great little sign, but yeah, it does raise a lot of questions once you do the math.
1: And since nothing is coincidental and everything is intentional, I can't help but wonder why Soji is on the Borg Cube.
0: I, so it's implied or outstated that both of the twins were attempting to get work studying synthetic life mm-hmm. because Dodge had applied to and been accepted to the Daystrom Institute working in the synthetics, uh, field. That's where she was supposed to be. Um, So So Soji applying to and getting, you know, permission to work on a Borg cube, reclaiming technology from Borg fits with what they've both sort of been assigned to, what their backgrounds have been created to lead them to. I have to think that there's something in both the Borg and in the Daystrom cybernetics department that would be of use to Maddox or whoever is behind
1: them. So they are being driven, almost like how in Asimov's books, which we see in this episode, the mm-hmm. only, you know, artificial intelligence is capable of producing even smarter artificial intelligences.
0: Yeah. Yeah. emergent intelligence.
1: Right. So maybe that's what these twins are doing is they are subconsciously being driven to seek out the knowledge they need to improve themselves.
0: Which I think would be really interesting. We just, we know that they were given backgrounds um, because when they look into Daj's background, they find that it's entirely fabricated, but it's fabricated in such a way that looks so real and gives her a good excuse to be applying to the program that she was applying to. Mm -hmm. So obviously her background was created to put her in that position and to drive her in that direction. I'm assuming that Soji's was similarly done. Um, but yeah.
1: And apparently these twins are part of a nest or so the Romulans think of even more like, I mean, this has come up two episodes in a row now.
0: Yeah. That they think that there, there are the rest of them. Um, But we've been told that they're made in pairs. Well, how many other pairs might constitute a nest? And then we've got the question of Daj's mother. Who's she?
1: I don't think she's real.
0: She told Daj to go to Picard. So is she just a a virtual construct? I think so. I think that would be fascinating.
1: I mean, we, we've never seen her in person, and even when she was on that holotransmitter, her image blurred when she was trying to process new information.
0: And she really had a very limited message for Dodge. Mm-hmm. She didn't have a whole lot of conversation. She just told her, go to Picard. And then Daj was shocked. She was like, but I didn't tell you anything. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, you must have. Yeah. So she's obviously been given if she's a program or a person one way or the other, she has more information than Dodge had, certainly.
1: Yes. But it would not be... I just think
0: that's interesting.
1: I don't think it would be difficult for somebody like Maddox, who is capable of producing Dodge and Soji, to also create a limited hologram.
0: Yeah, like a program that just shows up. And when we have the index in the archives that's a holographic projection of a person that... Mm -hmm responds um it wouldn't be terribly difficult i, I see that um sumali montano is only credited for one episode who played dodge's mother i so she's not going to show up again but i kind of wish she would just <laughs> so that we could see whether she's a program or a person who is in on this team
1: mm-hmm. you I
0: know is, is maddox if maddox is behind all this is he working alone does he have a team is it you know, just him working in a workshop on a deserted planet, like, say, Noonie and Soon, <laughs> or or what? You know, what's going on here?
1: If and when we see Bruce Maddox, I would not be surprised if we see a variety of his constructs, both ones we're familiar with yeah. and ones we're not. It's Which interesting. I think would
0: be fascinating.
1: So the Romulans are working on this Borg cube, and now we have learned that there is a subsection of the Tal Shiar that is very much against artificial intelligence. Are, do you think... Real against it. <laughs> yeah, so are they, like, exploiting the Borg cube? Or are they trying to shut down this project? Because we get very strong vibes that Rizzo and Nerik are part of this vat Zash, or whatever it's called. zha so, Yeah, so, are, so... And they didn't mean to destroy Dodge. they wanted to claim her, and it was an accident that they blew her up. So, what is their yeah. what is their goal, both with Soji and with the Borg Cube?
0: Well, all we know about the Jatvash is hearsay from Laris, because we haven't heard from the Jatvash themselves. We've heard from someone who was in the Tal Shiar about what is considered even by the Talshiar a a shadowy myth. Jabin says he's like, well, we don't know that they're real. All we know, all we know have are stories. You know, we don't have actual proof that they existed. And we hear from Laris that they, the Jatvash don't just dislike artificial intelligence. They they loathe it. They are afraid of it. So, what caused that fear? That is something interesting. That's a question for the show to answer. Um, And are they actually afraid of it or are they afraid of anyone else having it? I know you haven't finished
1: season two of discovery yet, but
0: I haven't, but it's okay.
1: Right. I think it's fair to say that the second season of discovery and the first season of Picard are both very much about artificial intelligence yeah. Mm. I don't know if that's a coincidence. I mean, I understand that they wanted to tie in to what happened to data in Nemesis, but yeah. it just seems like they're either overplaying this plot device or they're somehow connected.
0: There's a bigger thing being... a bigger story being told, as it were.
1: Right, because just as you and I were talking about Soji and Dodge being driven to learn all they can about artificial intelligence there's a character in season two of discovery who has that same drive.
0: I don't think, I don't think it's coincidental Um, though. I mean, maybe it is, but these two shows are being made kind of concurrently. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine that there is some discussion about what to do with the plots and what um, to explore. So I'm curious to see what direction they go in. I do think it would be interesting if the Zhat Vash, uh have not just fear as a motive um, of what might happen with an artificial intelligence, but not wanting anyone but them necessarily to have the technology, maybe because of something that has happened in the past, like say during the timeline of discovery.
1: It's true. All we have is hearsay, and there is a lot of opportunity yeah. to learn that oh my gosh, the Romulans are nuanced and there are intricacies to their motivations.
0: Yeah. I love, one of the things I'm really enjoying about Picard and watching Picard at the same time as catching up on Discovery and watching Enterprise, is that I'm watching these two shows that are set very firmly in the Federation and Starfleet's past, while also watching a show that is very firmly in the future of the timeline that is also so cognizant of its past. And that's been really interesting to do all at the same time. It does mean I'm having to keep my timeline very straight. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened when, um, but you know, that's, that's Star Trek for you. Time Timelines are always fun in Star
1: Trek. Oh yes, they absolutely are. <laughs> now both times, both episodes, we've seen the Borg cube and, each time, it's left me with a question that I cannot answer, and I'm hoping you might be able to provide some <laughs> unique insight. Is Narek hot?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Narek is nerdy hot. <laughs> Narek is... Um, he's not, like, heartthrobby hot. He's more cute than hot. But he's also got that element of danger to him that you don't really know him so he's mysterious but he's got he's roguishly handsome let's put it that way
1: because even the trill scientist said I didn't know Romulans could be that hot and I'm like neither did I
0: (laughs) (laughs) he's cute he's got a, a charm to him that makes him more attractive because charisma wasn't his dump stat let's put it that way (laughs) He, he's definitely, he packed a lot of extra points into charisma and that's good for a spy. That's good for someone who needs to infiltrate places and charm people. You need to have your charm carry you in a way that looks may not. Um, I do think he, I mean, I personally think he looks cute, but also he's not like, he's not a, he's not like a big chunky heartthrob. But that's not my type anyway, so.
1: Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> now, he said he does not need permission from the director of the Reclamation Project. Why do you think no, that he is? No, he does not.
0: Because he is Tel Shiar.
1: <laughs> well, I was trying to wonder, is he Tel Shiar? Is he Jat Vash? Or is he the director of the Reclamation Project?
0: Um, I think it's implied that he is Talshiar. He gets to go where he wants to go. The Jatvash are a sort of shadowy inner organization in the Talshiar. If it's like a one of those logic things, all Talshiar, not all Talshiar or Jatvash, but all Zhat Vash are Talshiar. Hmm. Um, where there it's an inner circle within the Talshiar, um, because the Talshiar you there's a certain level of secrecy involved in being in the Tal Shiar and if well and again this is me being a fanfic writer and someone who does a lot of chatting about speculation on Star Trek, I think it's maybe a case of if you're in the Tal Shiar and you are noticed for having a particular loathing for or dislike of AI and the like, that maybe someone from the Jotfosh notices you. And maybe they tap you and say, "Hey, I'd like you to be on this sub team." And eventually, you find yourself as part of the Jat-Vash because you you've you have certain proclivities. Um, but I think all of the I would expect that all of the Jat-Vash members started as Talshiar, like normal Talshiar. So I think he's Talshiar, and we know from Next Generation the Talshiar can go onto a ship and make demands and say, no, we're going to these coordinates and no, I don't have to explain myself. So if he's on this reclamation project and he says, I'm going to sit in on this person's research that the director of it goes, okay, <laughs> sure you will. And he can, he does what he wants. Um, I don't know if he's the director because he's only recently arrived, right? Right. He's only just gotten there because she's been there. Soji's been there for a while and he's new when we meet him in the first episode. And there's no mention in the episode of there being a new director coming on board. And Mm -hmm. I think there would have been if he was supposed to be the director. Um, And she doesn't really know anything about him because she asks him. She's like, oh, tell me about yourself. And he's like, can you keep a secret? So can I. (laughs) Yep. Which is, uh, there's a line in uh, the movie Clue that is that line almost entirely. It's the same thing. Um, but yeah, I, I like that we know so little about, that she knows so little about him, but that she's so used to working with Romulans at this point that she's like, all right, that's yep. just how you are. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All of it. You're, you're hot enough and good enough in bed that I'm just going to, you know, let it go. Okay. Alrighty. And you know, then he stands in and watches her work and he's not subtle about it. He's standing right there. Yep. It's not like he's watching from some hidden control room. Right. he is physically in the room with them.
1: And while she's working, we see that she has a lot of empathy for these former for board drums. Yes, she does.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Telling them that you're, you're free now. She doesn't like them being called nameless. Though I also like the idea that Nameless is a name. I thought that was very poetic.
1: Yeah, I feel like I've seen that in a novel before. I felt like there was a character who actually was named Nameless. And I can't it
0: wouldn't remember. surprise me.
1: Any other thoughts about the board Cube?
0: Um, I feel like the board Cube must be a fascinating place to work. <laughs> it's. I mean, just imagine trying to find your way around it. Um, they have to wear a little radio. It's like working in Chernobyl, you know, it's a dangerous place and you've got to reclaim things from it. You've got to wear a little sensor to make sure that you're okay. And, but that you sort of get inured to it that, you know, okay. Cause she, she's given sort of a pep talk to the new, the new girl. She's like, no, you're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Keep this on, make sure it doesn't blink. Going to be fine. It's okay. It's okay to be nervous. It's your first day. You'll get used to it. Um, it's a dangerous place to work, but it, there's no other place like it.
1: It's on the cutting edge of technology.
0: It is, <laughs> and so many different races and species on board. So if you wanna, if you wanna meet someone from a different species, this is the place to be too.
1: Especially when we don't even know what those species were before they were assimilated.
0: Exactly, because we have no idea that all of the Borg end up looking pretty much alike.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: the, the Borg re- really like their uh, their assimilation to be uh, very generic.
1: Yeah, well, they they want to be uniform, you know, and homogenous. Exactly, that's the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. So I have just two more thoughts about this episode. Anything you want to interject sure. first?
0: Um, I just I think it's doing a very good job of setting things up. I think uh, it, it was an a necessary look at both Picard's uh, relationship with Starfleet, his current relationship with Starfleet. We know how determined he is. So it set that up really nicely, as well as setting up more of what's going on on the Borg cube and who is there and keeping an eye on things. We know what the stakes are a little bit more than we did in episode one.
1: Yeah, it's possible for an episode to have a lot of characters and a lot of settings and not Mm -hmm. actually have a lot happen. That was not the case here. We are definitely moving forward very quickly with this (laughs) plot, even if it's not at the rate we want to, where they're not in space yet.
0: They're not in space yet, but it's certainly not that nothing's happened.
1: Absolutely. We're learning a lot, both about the past and about the present. Yes. That's one of my concerns, though, about this episode was I've been watching TNG With my mom. She's never seen it before. Mm -hmm. And when she heard that Picard was coming out, she said, oh, are we going to watch that together too? And I said, well, not until we finish TNG. You need to go in order. Yeah. But but even once we get to that point, I'm thinking, you heard it from me right in the TLDR of this podcast where there's so much going on, so much subterfuge, so many gaps in our history, so many characters who either aren't who they pretend to be or don't know who they are themselves. I don't right. know that somebody who likes TNG could necessarily keep track of everything that's happening in Picard.
0: And I, I'm not a great person to weigh in on that because again, like you, I've watched a lot of Star Trek and a lot of my friends that I talk to about Star Trek have watched a lot of Star Trek. I don't really know anyone who's going into Picard without as much background as I have.
1: Right. And that's something Sabriel and I talked about, which is discovery is a good entry point because it requires little knowledge, mm. whereas Picard expects that you have seen seven years and five movies.
0: At, at the least.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: You know, there's I mean, there's probably just a good shortlist that you could do, but it does require that that shortlist sort of be on your in your background, mm-hmm. even if you haven't watched all of Next Generation you've got to have a certain number of bullet points ticked off um, in order to understand it. You've got a certain number of movies that you probably should at least know the plot of before you sit down and watch this. Um, yeah, it's very much a show made for fans. Mm-hmm.
1: And even with all that background knowledge, I sometimes need to sit down and remind myself, okay, so Rizzo is a Romulan pertained to be mm-hmm. a human in Starfleet, but she's actually in the Tel <laughs> Shiar, related to this other Romulan who's monitoring a human who's actually an android created by Bruce Maddox who also created a twin that was destroyed by Romulans. You know, it's it's. It a feels lot... Like a... Yeah. It feels like
0: a good ep- uh, episode for a flowchart.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten to that point yet, but we might. Yeah. My one last comment about this episode. I love... That Picard never understood the appeal of science fiction.
0: Love it. (laughs) So good. Especially knowing that Patrick Stewart's two big iconic roles of, like, movies and screens in the U.S. are both very much science fiction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because, you know, there's this and there's X-Men. Right. And... Here he is in these two big iconic roles, and they're both very definitely – I mean, X-Men – I'm not going to get in the weeds with X-Men, but you could go sci-fi or you could go fantasy with that. I think it it bridges. But yeah, I loved that line. It was a great line.
1: I got to wonder if he was referring to science fiction by Isaac Asimov, which by the future of Star Trek would just be science fact, or (laughs) if he was talking about the science fiction of the future, in which case – what does that even look like? When you yeah,
0: Where where is that going?
1: <laughs> right. I mean, it's like that episode of Firefly where Wash said, "Sounds like science fiction," and his wife said, "You live on a spaceship, dear."
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um what what is the science fiction of the 24th century? What where is it going? Where where are they envisioning things? Oh, oh, was it Watchmen? I think it was Watchmen. Um that in Watchmen it was uh pirates and westerns had become the big thing because when you've got real life superheroes with real life powers science fiction sort of loses its 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 draw um because when that happens very suddenly as opposed to over time then you're like oh well it's not fiction <laughs> mm-hmm. um and that's why uh the watchmen comics have like a whole pirate serial and that pirates and westerns had become their major uh like fantastical adventure genres all I right. thought that was a really neat commentary.
1: That makes sense. Oh, there's one more thing I meant to mention earlier when we were talking about Laris and Jabon. Mm. Jabon was on Star Trek Enterprise. Oh. The actor, Jamie McShane, was a human yeah. medical officer in the episode The Andorian Incident.
0: I did note that because I went looking. <laughs> I I love how Star Trek reuses actors, it makes me very, very happy um, because you've got Jeffrey Coombs who plays <laughs> everything. Mm. Um, there was recently I was watching um, some stuff by Loading Ready Run. where a comedy troupe out of Victoria, BC, and they do a variety show once a month on Saturday nights. And they had a quiz during their variety show last week that was name that Star Trek alien race. <laughs> and they would show they would show a character and then they would give it was a multiple choice. And every multiple choice answer was a legit Star Trek alien race. And you had to figure out which one was the right one. So they had um Morn up there and one of the options was Gorn. And I thought that was very funny, but I was like, of course he's not Morn the Gorn. Come on, <laughs> we all know what the Gorn are. Um, Morn is a Luran, by the way, huh? uh, which I knew somehow and they they put up shran who is an andorian played by jeffrey coombs and one of the uh, group actually answered well that's just a jeffrey coombs
1: that's what it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i was like yep yep he's, he's played a lot of characters yep and there's a uh, another actress who's played a lot of characters and i'm gonna find her name right now but yeah i love that they reuse actors it always makes me laugh
1: Sometimes it's more um, obvious than others, like Jeffrey Coombs also showed yeah. up on an episode of Voyager, and they also had J.G. Hertzler play a Klingon both in Deep Space Nine and in Enterprise, but mm-hmm. they were different Klingons.
0: Yeah, they've they've made reuse of a lot of actors. Okay, Susie Plaxton. Plaxton. Oh, did she play Leah the actress. She No, that's someone different. Oh, okay. She's played, Oh, I'm going to find it, She's been in she played Kalar. Who oh, yeah, was yes, Worf's, uh Alexander's mother. I knew her of Um I'm looking her up on Memory Alpha because she has played a whole bunch of different aliens. And I love it. Um yeah, she's played let's see. She played Dr. Cellar in a next generation episode, The Schizoid Man. She played Kalar again in Next Generation. She played a female Q in Voyager. Yes, I remember and that. And she she played an Andorian in Enterprise. Tala Tara. That was different. Whew, that's a lot. Yeah she she's good at wearing makeup. <laughs> she's also very tall. She's a very tall woman, so you know she can be imposing. And so when they need a nice imposing looking lady character, mm-hmm. they 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 get Susie Plaxen. But I, I love that. I love seeing familiar faces.
1: The reason I was thinking of Leah Brahms is because she also played a Starfleet officer in T-Space Nine.
0: That wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> they, they like to recycle actors. I think when they get people who uh, enjoy being on the show and are available, they're like, oh, call them up.
1: <laughs> I suspect that for Jabon, Jamie McShane probably didn't get a call because he was such a small character in just one yeah. episode. He probably auditioned and said, oh, by the way, I've been on Star Trek.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. Guess what? I've done this. Yep. I mean, we've got um, – my husband points out. We had uh, the guy who played Tom Paris. He yep. was the next generation. Yeah. <laughs> totally they, different character.
1: Uh, actually, it was pretty much the same character.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a different name. Maybe they, maybe they renamed him. You know, he, he went into like Starfleet Witness Protection to – get the stink of the incident off of him.
1: They renamed him because otherwise every single episode of Voyager would have to pay royalties <laughs> to the script writer for that episode of TNG.
0: Right. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, Amanda, it's been lovely talking about maps and legends with you. It's, we're only 20% oh, it's of, of the way through the first season. We have so much more to go. In the meantime, where can our listeners find you online?
0: Um, so I can be found on Friday nights on Twitch on Battleground Games Live, playing board games with my husband and some friends. And sometimes on Fridays during the day or Saturdays during the day, I do painting streams online. And if you want to find me on Twitch, my Twitch handle is merrimanlion, lion Lion with a, a Y.
1: When you say painting, do you mean like a paint night or do you mean like miniatures?
0: I paint miniatures. I paint board game miniatures mostly, and I have a lot of fun with it.
1: Awesome. There will be links to those in the show notes at transporterlock.com. Amanda, thank you so much for coming aboard.
0: Thank you for having me. It great. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at transporterlock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at transporterlock.com. Things happen that you normally would think, oh, I would have sworn then. And uh, like a mouse running across one's lap, managed not to swear. Very bad paper cuts and the like. Nope, didn't swear. It's it's hard, but it does, it does sort of help, help you not swear in other situations as well.